What was that? What just happened here? What is going on? What I appreciate most about this musical recasting of the passion narrative we just heard is just how disorienting it is. Uh, The unexpected sounds, the inability to identify any sense of melody at times, uh, the relentless rhythms that resemble a pounding headache, all of which means that you can't help but to feel the darkness falling and snuffing out any flicker of hope. However disorienting this piece makes us feel, however disturbing it is for us to hear the story of Christ's passion told once more, well, multiply that times a hundred, and perhaps you're getting close to the disorientation that was experienced 2,000 years ago. Because back then, there was no category for a crucified king. No place to plant this tragedy in the hope that something might eventually sprout from it. We tend to forget this today. So much of American Christianity comes packaged as inspirational uplift. And we are so accustomed to having the cross function as a decoration that we can scarcely even imagine it as an object of, of, of shame and scandal. It requires considerable mental effort to enter into the first century of the Roman Empire so as to understand the degree of offensiveness that crucifixion was as a method of execution. The Apostle Paul, when writing his letter to the Christians in Rome, he begins his introduction uh, with this climax, with these words. He writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would he be ashamed? Why would it be necessary to issue such a disclaimer? Well, because, as he says in another letter, to preach a crucified king is scandalous. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. And yet Paul goes on to say, We are therefore fools for Christ. We are all fools to suggest that the horrific death of our king was his glorious coronation. That his crown is truly composed of thorns. That his defeat somehow won the victory over the powers of sin and death. (laughs) It is a foolish thing to proclaim, to place at the heart of your faith, at the center of of your worldview, this scandal that is the cross. And yet we are not ashamed of the gospel, are we? Because we believe that it is by the cross that Jesus accomplished what he set out to accomplish. This we must not forget. I mean, whatever we make of the cross, the cross must always remain connected to the aims of Jesus, to what Jesus was all about, to the primary message that he proclaimed, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
We cannot talk about Christ crucified without talking about this kingdom that he inaugurated. Indeed, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all labor to make this point. The kingdom and the cross are inherently connected, something we tend to forget. I mentioned this last week, that on Palm Sunday, we tend to shout out our hosannas in celebration of God's coming king, while at the same time forgetting that his celebrated kingdom only comes to earth by way of the cross. Well, this day, it's the flip side of this amnesia that occurs. Because on Good Friday, we we tend to give all our attention, our full attention now to the cross, to the death of Jesus. And yet, on this day, we tend to forget its connection to the promised kingdom. We tend to forget that these are actually two sides of the same coin. A point not only made by our gospel authors, but in other portions of Scripture as well. For example, the same connection is on full display in the prophet Isaiah. Though again, we, we rarely see this. I mean, we just heard read that famous passage from Isaiah 53 on the suffering servant. A fitting passage for a day like this. But what we forget is what immediately precedes this passage. It's the promise of God's kingdom. It's a lovely passage that has this Palm Sunday feel to it. Listen to what it says. This is Isaiah 52, starting at verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. That's kingdom language. Listen. Your sentinels lift up their voices, and together they sing for joy. For in plain sight, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. So break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Sounds a lot like Palm Sunday, doesn't it? And yet, just like with Palm Sunday, if we keep reading, what we see a few verses later utterly shocks us because what we see is Good Friday. The one riding into Jerusalem, quote, he was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. You see, if Palm Sunday reminds us that the kingdom we celebrate comes by no other means than the cross, then Good Friday reminds us that the ultimate goal of the cross we grieve is the coming of the kingdom we crave. Again, two sides of the same coin. The same connection is made, but again, in our psalm for today, Psalm 22, the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross As he cries out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, the psalm goes on to say much more than this. It goes on to talk about the suffering of this one who enters into the pain of the world. But then, while he's being 
beaten and mocked by others, he looks for God to act and deliver his people. So that by the end of the psalm, we see that suffering gives way to kingdom. We didn't read this part a moment ago because today's assigned portion of the psalm ends with verse 22. But listen to how the psalm reaches its climax. All the ends of the world shall remember and be turned unto the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among all people. I think it's fair to imagine these lines being on the mind of Christ. As he lets out that horrible cry. For he knew this connection well. Suffering gives way to kingdom. They go together. That is the scandal of our gospel. The kingdom message of Jesus is never without a cross. And the death of Jesus on that cross can never be divorced from the launching of God's kingdom. The one inevitably entails the other. And so I ask you, did Jesus come into the world to bring God's kingdom or to die on a cross? Answer, yes. Or perhaps a better response would be that's a really bad question. You can't play these off of each other because the kingdom is the ultimate goal of the cross. They go together. Now, I can hear someone in the back with a keen objection. But Father Wes, I I thought the cross was, was all about sin, not the kingdom. I mean, my goodness, everywhere you turn in the New Testament, we read of Christ dying for our sins. Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. We heard that in our passage today from Hebrews 10. Well, of course... Our friend in the back is exactly right. Yes, the cross has to do with the sin of the world. That's essential, but we must remember that's not its main goal. Rather, sin and death are obstacles to the main goal. The main goal is God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So think about it this way. If you're taking a road trip and your car breaks down then fixing your car is pretty important. It's it's essential, right? It's just not the main goal. You fix your car so you can get back on the road and reach your destination. That's the main point of the journey. And in the biblical narrative, defeating sin is like fixing the car. But it's the fullness of God's kingdom, a new creation that houses the very presence of God and us within it. That is our destination. One of the uh, repeated questions I ask my, Christ- uh, my children on the way to school is this very thing. I won't put you on the spot, kiddos. Question, what's the most important thing in the world? God and his kingdom. That's where everything in history is headed. And the scandal of the gospel is that our king unleashes this kingdom via the cross. That this instrument of death, that this disorienting tragedy is the key that opens the door to the release, yes, from sin, then the giving of the Spirit, and the fullness of new creation. There's this verse at the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians that puts this very well. 
He writes there in chapter 6, he says, my, May I never boast of anything except the cross. <laughs> That's right. It, it's all about the cross. But then in the very next verse, he makes this remarkable statement. He says, And new creation is everything. New creation is everything. You see, they go together. As disorienting as this night is for us, as tragic and terrible as the death of our king is, we take comfort in the scandal that the cross of Christ is the gateway to new creation. That is what happened tonight. Thanks be to God.